Let's praise the Lord together, huh? So glad you're here. If you have a Bible, grab it. Turn with me to the book of Matthew. It's the very first book in the New Testament. We're going all the way to the back of that. Matthew chapter 28. If you uh, need to, pull it up on your phone or a device that you have and uh, get a copy of God's word in front of you. Uh, we're here with the exuberance, with the excitement, with the passion that we have just sung with because we follow a Savior who is alive. If, if all of our faith, all of the Christian message, uh, uh, the, the bedrock of your life hinges on Jesus not being dead in a tomb anymore. Um, the, the, the Apostle Paul, who uh, before he was known as the Apostle Paul, is Saul of Tarsus, the first century, first century violent oppressor of Jesus and the Jesus movement encounters the resurrected Christ, is radically transformed, and, and turns from violent oppressor of the Jesus movement to proponent and greatest missionary the, the, the Jesus movement has ever seen. In his words, he says it like this. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If Jesus is not alive, we can pack it up and go home. And you should all stay at home this morning and enjoy a nice summer day, spring day, not summer yet. But the fact of the matter is Jesus is alive and our, and our faith is not futile. It is not pointless. It, it, it is, it is, it is uh, standing on a foundation of a resurrected savior. And, and the fortunate thing for us is we have four historical accounts. Uh, uh, what we have in our Bible is the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that all recount and give an account of this resurrection, of the fact that Jesus really did raise to life. I, I want us to spend some time here, a few minutes here this morning, in Matthew's account of the resurrection. And why I want us to spend time here is because I believe in Matthew's gospel, we get a great picture of what the responses are to be of the fact that Jesus has resurrected. What I mean by that is what should our response look like if it is true that Jesus really did rise from the dead? Because we can't um, interact with that in a half-hearted way. We can't stay just dispassionate about that. The resurrection of Jesus Christ forces people to one side of the fence or the other. You can't ride the fence on that. And it has deep implications, not only for your eternity, but for the years in which we live here. What does the response of a resurrected Christ demand of us? What are the joys that we get to know from this fact? And so in the book of Matthew, in this last chapter, Matthew 28, we're going to see three right responses to the risen Christ. Three right responses to the risen Christ. And I want us to get right there in God's word. Let God's word teach us this morning. And let me pray for us as we do. Father, we come now humbly. We're humbling ourselves under the authority of your word. And Lord, we ask that as your word goes forth, Lord, would your spirit work through your word to accomplish in our hearts what you set out to accomplish. Lord, would you open the eyes of our heart for those in the room who have never believed in you, Jesus, would you open the eyes of their heart to believe today? 
For uh, those in the room who have believed in you, Lord, will you open up the eyes of our heart to rejoice afresh and anew over the resurrection? Would this never become old news? Because this is the best news, Lord. It can't become old news. And so, God, would you aliven our heart? Would you quicken our spirit as your word goes out here this morning? And would you lead us to worship through your word, God? Please, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, let's look together at these responses to the resurrection of Jesus. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, I want to pause there because before we go on with the rest of the story, we need to acknowledge something at this point in the story. There's, a, there's an emotional feel that is radically different from what we were just feeling as we were singing about the victory. They don't know that yet. What we read in Matthew 28, verse 1, are two women who had followed Jesus. I mean, they, they'd gone all in to follow Jesus. They're walking to a tomb. This is a grieving walk to a gravesite. They're expecting that tomb to be holding a dead body. They're expecting that, that tomb with the dead body in it to be guarded by these Roman soldiers. I want us to feel something in this moment. This is a walk of mourners, of grievers. This is a walk of intense sorrow. And we have to sense that because they're going to leave this tomb with a much different emotions that the Bible's going to tell us what those are. But we got a sense in this moment. They don't know the rest of the story yet. And look at what happens to these grieving women on this walk to the tomb. Verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Here they go, grieving, walking, approaching the tomb, and then boom! Earthquake, angel, stone rolled. And then I, I love the angel. He, he rolls the stone and he like hops up and sits on it. He's like, what's up? Yes. The, 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 the guards who had been assigned to the tomb, look at what it says about them. Uh, they are frozen. They're trembling. And they became like dead men. A supernatural encounter here to these grieving women going to the tomb, and this supernatural encounter is accompanied with a supernatural message from this angel, verse five. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. Are you glad he led with that? Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. I know why you're here. You're looking for your crucified teacher, Rabbi, Savior, and then my favorite line of the whole Easter story, verse 6. He is not here, for he has, he's risen. You've come to find, if you've come to look for his body, you won't find it here. He isn't here. He walked out of here. He is up and about. He is alive. And then uh, the, the invitation all of us would hope to receive after hearing those words. Come, see. Wouldn't you have needed to hear that? Okay, can I look? Can I, can I look? Can I see? 
I believe you, angel, I really do, but can I see? Come see. Come see the place where he lay. Then go. Come see, then go. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb. And now here's the emotion that we get. They depart quickly from the tomb with fear and what? With this cocktail of fear and great joy. They're running and they're like, that was terrifying and that was awesome. And are you freaked out? And are you so excited? They don't know. Like, I love that uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, it records their emotions. Because if we can imagine, we would be filled with great fear and great joy in a moment like this. They haven't pieced the whole theological puzzle of it all together, but they just know an angel showed up and he sat on a rock and he said, Jesus is alive. That'd be pretty awesome and pretty fear invoking. And so they're going full of fear, full of great joy, and they're running to tell his disciples, verse nine, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. <laughs> so they're, they're, I mean, they are busting it to the disciples, full of fear, full of joy, and at some point, Jesus in front of them, greetings. And now I want you to see here the response of people when the risen Christ intercepts their path. When Jesus, alive, shows up and mere mortals, human beings, have an encounter with it, it invokes something. Look at what they do. Greetings, middle of verse 9. And they came up and took hold of his what? Of his feet. They're low. You can't have an encounter with the risen Christ and stay high. They come, they embrace his feet. They came up and took hold of his feet. And then this is so important. What do they do and what? And they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, same message to the angel, that do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. Let me give us this Easter, this first right response to the fact that Jesus has risen and it's this, I'm to worship the resurrected Christ. Like the only place for us to start today is just to say he is to be worshiped. And now we we look at this first point and all week I was looking at this first point like, oh, so typical. First point of an Easter message, worship the resurrected Christ. Let's unpack this a bit. What does it mean to worship? And this is a really important conversation. If you're newer to the faith or if if you're in the room and you wouldn't identify as a Christian or a follower of Jesus, this is a really important question. What does it mean to worship? But if you're in the room and you have followed Jesus for years or decades, this is an equally important question. 
Because we can throw this word around all the time, worship, 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 worship. And we can grow so familiar with it that it can lose its power to us of what it really means to worship. To worship is to ascribe worth. You're like, that didn't help me at all. It's to look at something and say, you are most worthy. You are worthy of my supreme allegiance, my ultimate affections, my complete obedience. You are worthy of me investing everything in you. That's what it means to worship. The songs that we sing in worship are an expression flowing out of a week of, Lord willing, living a life of worship and fuel for another week of saying, Jesus, you are most supreme and you are worthy of all my affections and all my attention and all my obedience. And now the, the thing about it is, even, even if you're in the room and you're like, I, I, am the, I am the most unreligious person in the room here today. We have to understand, it is true of every single heart in this room, all of us worship. It's a fact. All of us point our life towards someone or something and say, you are worthy of my supreme affection, attention, adoration, investment. And when we point our heart towards anything lesser than Christ, all of us in here have experienced the deep satisfaction of that thing or that person we've worshiped not being able to deliver. And all we have to do is look back at this last year. Been a hard year, anyone agree? Where were you at this time last Easter? Oh wait, I can tell you, you're at home. We look at the, a hard thing like this last year and we see how it stripped away some things we maybe leaned hard on, dare I say, worship. And we see how in a moment it all can be gone. Jesus is the one we were created to worship supremely. He's the only one who can withstand all of our adoration and affection and attention and obedience and investment pointing to. And so the question is, how do we worship him? If you're in the room today, and maybe you're sensing that, that you're seeing that Jesus has risen from the dead, and you have to interact with this reality that um, you and I, we've all sinned. God has a standard for our life. None of us has met his standard. And, and I'd be willing to bet you're like, yeah, I'm not gonna argue that. I've never met someone who's like, oh, I'm pretty, I think I'm perfect. Yet to this day, met someone. And the, like, the news gets really bad before it gets better, according to the Bible. God then says that the penalty for my sin is death. I deserve to die. Like, sin is so heinous in God's sight, I deserve to die for it. 
The crucifixion of Jesus Christ is much more than just a historical event of a Galilean teacher who got sideways a bit with the authorities of his day and thus he died for it. It is that and it's more than that. It's the death of a perfect savior on your behalf and on my behalf. And how we come into a worship relationship with this savior, God made a very simple way. He invites us into a relationship with this Savior, Jesus, by faith, through believing. There is no 10-step process, and here's how you become a good person, and then you can be in a relationship with Jesus. There is no magical incantation. There is now, okay, like now you've got to get really, really, really involved in this church, then maybe you can get, no, no, no. In fact, here's what the Bible says in its own words. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, For by grace, grace is a gift you don't deserve. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. This is really important for us. We can't do anything to earn God's grace. You can't be good enough to earn earn God's grace. In fact, I'm willing to bet even on Easter Sunday and trying to hustle it out of the house and get here on time, you might have been confronted with the own sinfulness brewing in your own heart. Oh, I, it's Easter Sunday. I've done, done it again. It's not even 8 a.m., right? We're doing devotions last night as a family, and the, the brewing of the anger of my heart I'm reading to you about the resurrected Christ. (laughs) Sit down, shut up. (laughs) If you've seen a theme in my life, evening devotions can bring it out. That and hanging light fixtures can bring it out. (laughs) But the good news, my salvation isn't resting on my merits. It's not resting on how well I accomplished family Devo time last night. My salvation is resting on this Savior who died, was buried, and rose to life. Period. And you can know this Savior too by right there in your seat saying, Jesus, I see my sin, and I see you've come to save me. I surrender and believe. You're like, it can't be that easy. God of his love for you, why would he make it hard? I'm not saying following Jesus is the easiest thing in the world. But coming into a relationship with him is simple. By faith. You were made to worship him. Come on, you and I both know it. Everything else you've tried to worship has fallen so short. Become the best on your team. Yay, I did it. Really, is this it? Become the best in your company. Yay, I did it. Is it really? Is this it? Go make a lot of money. Get a lot of stuff. Yay, we did it. Uh, Huh. It's Jesus. Period. He's the only one who can bear the weight of the worship of your heart. And will never fail you in it. Believe. Believe.
Now, I fully recognize that I can stand up here and preach this on an Easter Sunday, and yet we live in a world that persists in unbelief. That even, you know, I, I fully recognize that even in a matter of few minutes, if you're not a follower of Jesus sitting out here, like, you're like, you're not going to convince me in a matter of minutes. I, I get that there's still uh, people who will not believe that Jesus was the Savior of the world and that he died on a cross and that he rose from the dead. In fact, we live in a cultural day in which there's a lot of uh, controversy, and I'm going to use some words around this controversy, manufactured controversy, contrived controversy. All you have to do is stroll through the uh, checkout line of a store and look at the publications to see there are all different stories. People want to write all different things. What, you know, where did Jesus' body really go? Have they uncovered the body of Christ? And you're just boom, 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 boom. Here's what I want to be encouraged by. That controversy, contrived controversy, it's not new to our day. He was resurrected a mere hours before other stories started to circulate. Look at what happens here. Verse 11. While they were going, while the ladies are going to the disciples, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. So if you can imagine that, those guys who are frozen solid in fear, they're now going back into the heart of Jerusalem. They're gathering up the chief priests, the people responsible for the death of Jesus. And they're like, hey, um, yeah, I don't really know how to say this. Small, small problem, small, just a little one. Uh, earthquake, angel, stones, like he's gone. He's gone. Like he, no, he's, really, he's gone, gone. What, like what do you want us to do? Verse 12. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, uh, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And so the chief priests, the elders, they're like, okay, guys, problem, um, what, what do you think we should do? Let's pay them off. Deal. They pay the guards and they say, here's money and here's the story. Y'all fell asleep. The disciples came by night, stole the body. Now, if you're guards in this day, you would have a problem with that. You get in big, big trouble, like lose your life for not being faithful to an assignment that you would have been given, like guarding a tomb here. And so, uh, verse 14, and the chief priest elders say this, and if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. And so at the time of Matthew's writing, he's going, this is the story that's circulating. There's, here's the conspiracy surrounding the resurrection. It's contrived. It's manufactured. Here's the source of how this began. It began with bribery and a conspiracy it's a matter of hours since Jesus has risen from the dead, and you already have controversy surrounding his resurrection. Why? Well, because there's an enemy at work here who doesn't want people to believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. You go to our day. There's conspiracy and stories and people who say, you, can't actually, you don't actually believe Jesus supernaturally rose from the dead, do you? Here's the second response that I think is important for us this, this Easter, and it's this. I'm to reject contrived controversy surrounding the resurrected Christ. Now, no, no, hey, before you play the card, let me play it, let me play it here. 
If you're in the room and you're like, oh, that is so convenient, Christian, just reject any other notion out there. Don't, don't do the honest, scholarly, academic work. Just say, nope, if you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, we just reject you outright. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I want you to hear something. The Christian faith is not a faith where it's like, don't ask too many questions. Don't dig too deeply. No, no, no. Ask the questions and dig deeply. Do the honest scholarly work. Uh, my undergrad was spent at secular liberal arts college as a religion major doing this kind of scholarly work. And I would read again and again. And to this day, I keep reading, I keep reading. The non-Christian, the honest and humble non-Christian scholars doing work in this area don't know how to handle the fact of where the body went. You pick up Bart Ehrman's book, kind of the leader, you know, kind of opposing the biblical worldview. You get to the chapter on the resurrection, he doesn't know what to do with it. You get Shimon Gibson's book, an archaeologist who studied this and it would not identify as a Jesus follower. Listen, I'm not just handpicking the people who studied it and became Christians, the C.S. Lewis's, the Lee Strobel's, the uh, Josh McDowell's. I'm picking people who would identify not as Christians. Shimon Gibson, archaeologist who's done the work on this, here's how he ends his book called The Final Days of Jesus. The reality is that there is no historical explanation for the empty tomb other than if we adopt a theological one, i.e. the resurrection. I leave it up to the reader to make up his own mind. No, 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 like think about that. He's devoted his life to this study. He's dug there. His hands have been in the dirt. And up to this point in this chapter, he is saying all of these other crazy theories, like guys, if we're honest, it's bogus. We don't know what to do with this. Shimon, it's because Jesus rose and he walked out of there, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And you have to accept the supernatural explanation of this, that we have a risen Savior. So, 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 the response to the fact that he's alive, he's to be worshiped. And we can gather here today, and I know some of you gathered in this room today, and you probably woke up another Easter and you're like, but can we really believe this? We can really believe it. And don't just take my word for it. Go dig, go study, go read. He's alive. But here's the thing. If he's to be worshiped and if we can trust it, you ready for this? You ready? You ready? Someone say yes. yes. <laughs> he, if he's to be worshiped and if we can trust it, he is worthy of our complete and total obedience. We don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to just say, hey, thank you, Jesus. And I'm going to go live however I want. He is worthy of our utter, complete, and total obedience. And so um, he's given the rally point. Go to Galilee. I'm going I'm to meet you all in Galilee. The question should be, what is the first thing Jesus is going to want to talk about with his followers after he's risen from the dead? That should be a burning question on our heart. Like, there should be some weight to, like, the things Jesus talks about with his followers after he's resurrected. Like, that seems like pretty weighty stuff. You with me on that? So what does Jesus want to say to them? Verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee 
to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But here's an important note, but some doubted. Can you relate? I mean, the whole group shows up and and not everyone's like, oh, he rose from the dead. I see it clearly. No, there's a group there that's like, what is happening? What is going on? And so they're gathered, some are, they're worshiping, some are doubting, and here's what Jesus wants to say to them, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what we call historically the Great Commission. What is a commission? A commission is a charge. It's a charge to act in a prescribed manner or perform prescribed acts. Jesus, he shows up alive, with all authority, all authority where? In heaven and on earth. And here's what he says, I'm giving you followers a commission. Here is my charge. I'm standing before you alive. The whole world needs to know it. Every nation needs to know it. Every heart you come across needs to know this. Go into all the earth. Go make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. The third and the only right response to these realities is this. I'm to obey the commission from the resurrected Christ. If your heart has come to know him and you've experienced the worship And if you know we can trust and we can reject any of the controversy, everyone's got to hear this. This is the hope for the world. Jesus is the hope for the world. There is no other way to heaven other than the name of Jesus. Your unbelieving neighbors need to know this. The family members who have not yet believed in Jesus need to hear this. This message needs to go to the end of our neighborhoods. It needs to spread across our state. It needs to move across our country. And it needs to go across the oceans to the nations. And Jesus stands in front of his disciples. And he invites them to that great privilege of that work. And guess what? He said that he will be with them until the very end of the age. It's not the end of the age yet. Jesus invites us into this work. We follow the alive, all authoritative Jesus. And we are to worship and obey him. Jesus is alive with all authority. And he is to be worshiped and obeyed. Amen? Amen. He's to be worshiped and obeyed. He's to be worshiped and obeyed. In all things, he is to be worshiped and obeyed. Romans 10 tells us what's at stake. Those of us who are gathering and singing with excitement and exuberance, and yes, we should, but here's what's at stake. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, heralding, telling? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The whole world's got to hear this. We must gather in Easter 
church services and worship, as their worship team likes to say, and worship our faces off. We must let this fuel us with the joy that Jesus is alive. And then the overflow of that joy must spill over into our neighborhood so that they will know this same reality as well. He's alive and he's to be worshiped and obeyed. Amen. Church, stand to your feet. I want to pray for us and I want us to uh, prepare our hearts to worship through song yet again. But I'm praying today that if you're in this room and you had never believed in Jesus, that from your seat, this Easter service, you will simply pray to him. There's no magical incantation of it. It's you in your seat before him just saying, I see my sin, I see you've come to save me, and I surrender, I believe, I put my faith in you. And for every heart in here who at one point has put their faith in Jesus Christ, I pray you will be fueled as we sing our way out of here. May that, uh, may that continue, that spirit of worship continue in your celebrations after this. May it continue as you walk back into your workplace or your school tomorrow. May it continue as you minister to your family because guess what? Jesus is alive today. But it's better, he'll still be alive tomorrow and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. You want me to keep going? Yeah. You just... And so Jesus, will you fill our heart with worship? I'm praying right now, Holy Spirit, that you would draw the heart of any in here who has never surrendered. Uh, Spirit, that's a work you have to do. Would you come do it? I'm praying for the hearts of those who have placed faith and believed and are following you. Uh, Lord, would you ignite our heart again and again to this reality that you are alive, Jesus. You have all authority, Jesus. You are to be worshiped, Jesus, and you are to be obeyed in all things, Jesus. Let us not, let us not settle for anything short of those realities. So Lord, may the worship of our mouth ascend again to you as an offering pleasing in, our, in your sight. We pray in your powerful name.